to be, uh, to have him fulfill the law for us rather than having to fulfill, do all of the law ourselves. And, uh, and so I hope you've enjoyed this series um, and seeing the gospel in Leviticus. Uh, I pray that it's been a really helpful uh, series for you. Uh, we're going to pray now as we come and look at the last little bit of Leviticus together. So please join me as we pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're a God who loves us incredibly more than we would know. Uh, thank you for these words in Leviticus that you have given us and uh, thank you that they show us how much we are in need of a great saviour like our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you might bring these words alive for us tonight by your spirit. May you nourish us with them and help us to see how good you are towards us. Amen. Amen. Well, every single person in this room wants to have a good life. We want a life where there are few difficulties and lots of pleasurable things. We want good health good friends, we want a good place to live, a good job, we want to eat good food, have a good bank balance, have good holidays. Um, I want this stuff, and I bet you want this stuff too. And so I want to ask you a question about how do you hope your life will look like? What, what, do, you, what do you hope your life will be like in five or ten years' time? What is the good life you have pictured that you hope for? And how do we go about securing our version of the good life? What rules or philosophies might we follow as we seek it? Maybe you've got to help yourself because no one else is going to. Maybe time is money. You've got to save, save, save. Maybe it's work before play or play before work, depending on what your version of the good life is. Maybe you're thinking, oh, it's okay to do this or that as long as I don't cause anyone harm as I try and secure the good life for myself. Or at least, you know, uh, I won't cause any harm that I can immediately see cause, uh, that it will cause people. Uh, maybe you, you live your life thinking, I'll have fun now while I'm young because there's time to be an adult later. I want to live the good life now. Or perhaps you live by the karma principle and do good to others or else bad things will happen to me. When we figure out what the good life is that we are after, we do everything in our power to make it happen, don't we? Even if it does mean cutting some corners or blurring the lines of right and wrong or perhaps walking over other people if they get in our way. And so we pursue our version of the good life at the expense of others. Perhaps we buy cheap clothes that are made in sweatshops, or we have a continued reliance on plastic that damages our environment and ruins it for, for many others. Or maybe we leave a huge carbon footprint without a thought on those that climate change affects acutely. We all want to have a good life, but at what cost? And whose version of the good life is right? What if my version means that you can't have yours? As we ponder these questions tonight, it's worth asking another question, one that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago. What good is it to gain the whole world, yet lose your life? 
We can spend our whole lives chasing after the good life, attempting to gain the whole world and satisfy every craving and desire and yet lose our lives in the process. And so it might seem bizarre to hear this tonight, but God wants the same thing for you. He wants you to have a good life, to be satisfied and to be full. And what might be even more bizarre is that this good life, this blessed life, comes particularly through the peculiar book of Leviticus through ancient rules and strange rituals that were established three and a half thousand years ago. In the book of Leviticus, the good life, the life of every blessing is found by living with God. The good life is life with God. And that's what we've seen throughout the book of Leviticus, the previous one, Mark. Um, Leviticus is all about living with God. This is the good life. But to many people, this seems quite ludicrous, doesn't it? That the good life is life with God. But God's plan all along was that the nation of Israel would receive his blessings. The blessings of life and prosperity and peace and joy in the land. Things that God, um, that things alone that come from God. And God's plan was that these blessings would be shared with the entire world as they find life with the living God of Leviticus. Uh, now, we've seen this infographic a number of times in this series, um, that God's start and end point for humanity is to live with God in paradise, to be God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. This is the good life. And so that's where it started in, in, in number one there, in, in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, um, humanity living with God in peace. Um, but sin entered the world and God's solution was with Leviticus here. Uh, but that didn't work and so he sent Jesus. And we go right through here where we are now in step five there. That is the picture of, of the church, of God living with his people by his spirit, looking forward to the return of Jesus uh, where we will live with God forever. And so God's plan from beginning to end for humanity revolves around being blessed by him, about living with God. But the problem happened there in, in <coughs> 2, you know, that as humanity rejected God's loving rule, they sought to live the good life without God. The good life was lost as humanity sought to live the good life without God. Life became hard and painful. Uh, we, we know this, don't we? There's brokenness everywhere we look. And death itself cuts short our ability to enjoy long life and satisfying life. And so in the few short years that we have, we spend them trying to secure the good life, which really never achieves the lofty heights of our dreams and aspirations. And it's because the good life is with God. The good life is with God. It comes to us out of the overflow of God's good and perfect character. He who is abounding in love and compassion and full generosity and joy. The good life is with God. 
And so God wants us to regain and enjoy all the blessings of life with him. And so uh, what God did is, is that he, he chose the man Abraham from whom the nation of Israel came. And God's plan was to bless the whole world through Abraham, through his offspring. Um, Genesis chapter 12, uh, we, we see that. We see that God promises um, blessing. He promises land and offspring and blessing to the whole world through his people, through the nation of Israel. And so as we come to the book of Leviticus, we find ourselves here with Abraham's descendants, the ones to whom God's blessing was going to flow and through whom the whole world would be blessed. And so, as we come to the book of Leviticus, we're just beginning to experience the blessing of living with God. But this blessing only comes as they deal with the problem of sin, the very attitude that led to losing the good life. So to live with God, as we've seen in Leviticus, means to live without sin. It is to be holy. And that is the problem that Leviticus deals with about how an unholy people can live with a holy God, how God can live among them and dwell among them. All the laws and rituals that we've seen um, are there to cleanse and to forgive the sin of the people so that God could live among them, so that he could bless them and not destroy them. But what we see here in Leviticus is, uh, particularly in chapter 26 here tonight, is that this blessing is contingent on their obedience. If they want the good life that God has promised them, they must obey God. So um, come with me to chapter 26. Um, open your Bibles with me. There's only a couple of verses printed in the outline. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, grab them open. Chapter 26 is where we're at. And um, what we're going to see here as we read is both the contingency and the blessing. So the contingency of their obedience and the blessing that follows. And so we haven't seen any of the blessings so far in the video because it's all just been rules and this is what's going to happen. But here is what it looks like if they follow all of the laws of God. So Leviticus 26 verse 3. Notice the contingency here as we begin. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands... I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce. The trees of the field will bear their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest. The grape harvest will continue until sowing time. You'll have plenty of food to eat and live securely in your land. I will give peace to the land. You lie down with nothing to frighten you. Okay, so here, verses 3 to 5, if they follow God, he will give them a productive land. Verses 6 to 8, he'll give them peace. Peace from enemies and peace from wild animals coming and devouring them. In verse 9, it talks about progeny. I will turn to you, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you. Verse 10, it's about prosperity. Verses 11 and 12, have a look at those. It's about God's presence. I will place my residence among you and I will not reject you. I will walk among you. 
That's uh, reminding us of, of God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. God will be with them. He'll be walking with them. He'll be their God. They will be his people. All of these blessings of production and peace and progeny and prosperity and presence they were all contingent upon their obedience to all that came in the previous 25 chapters. If you do this, you will be blessed. But should they not follow them completely? That's what the rest of chapter 26 is about. And Jesse did a great job reading all of that for us. So jump with me to verse 14. Uh, we'll just read a couple of verses here. But if you do not obey me and observe all these commands, if you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and do not observe all my commands and break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I'll bring terror on you. Wasting disease and fever that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You'll sow seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. Verses 14 to 16 here, the, the curse of disobedience is about disease. Verse 17, it's about defeat. Verse 18, God will discipline them. Verses 19 to 20, drought. 21 to 22, death. 23 to 26, is about disease and being delivered over to the enemy. 27 to 29. Have a look at verse 29 with me. Here's what will happen if they disobey. You will eat the flesh of your sons. You will eat the flesh of your daughters. It's pretty morbid, isn't it? Verses 30 to 32. There'll be devastation of the high places and of the land. Verses 33 to 35 is about desolation. The land will become desolate. There'll be no people. Verses 36 to 37 is about... Uh, the D word here is disorder with anxiety in front. <laughs> Couldn't find out a, a D word for that. Uh, but God will bring anxiety upon them. An anxiety disorder. I'll put anxiety in the hearts of those who survive in the lands of their enemies. The sound of wind-driven leaf will put them to flight. They'll flee as one flees from the sword and fall as though no one is pursuing them. They'll stumble over one another and they'll be scared. They'll be full of fear. And in verses 38 and 39 will come death. All these curses will come upon them if they are disobedient to God. And one of the things I want you to note um, through these verses as, as they go on is how they progress. Um, God's intention here was that these curses would cause them to start obeying. So have a look, 26 verse 14. If you do not obey me and observe my commands, these things will happen. And have a look at verse 18. But if after these things you will not obey me, well, I'll go on and do this. Verse 21, if you act with hostility towards me and are unwilling to obey, I'll continue to do this. Verse 23, if in spite of these things you don't accept my discipline, I will do this. Verse 27, 
And if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility towards me, here God's intention is that the curses that are coming upon them through their disobedience would cause them to stop doing it and to turn to him. But because they don't, they just keep rolling and snowballing and getting worse and worse. God gives them a chance to turn things around, but they do not receive these, uh, these curses as discipline, as his love towards them, as his compassion, because he's hoping that they would turn their lives around. Now, God could, like he did with um, some of the priests earlier, he could just destroy them straight away for their sin, but he doesn't. He's patient with them. Now, maybe you, you know what I'm talking about here when good parental discipline makes us run even further away. Maybe you know what that's like as your parents try and discipline you for doing something wrong. It hardens you even more. Now, if you were to read the rest of the history of Israel in the Bible, well, you discover that every one of these atrocities came upon them, even the one about eating their children. They disobeyed the covenant. They disobeyed the binding agreement between them and God that they made at Mount Sinai. And so the good life, the blessing of God for them was really very fleeting. It was temporary. There were some good times for the nation um, under people like King David and Solomon. We, we looked through the book of Judges and there were some good times that happened there, but it was really very, very short-lived. The good times really didn't last. Much like a Christmas I had years ago, before Jane and I had kids, we were living up at the Gold Coast and my twin sister came and she joined us for Christmas Day. We had a special Christmas lunch organised. We have heaps of delicious food. I splashed out and brought prawns that I cooked on the barbecue and it was a really lovely day. But it didn't last long because the prawns gave us food poisoning. The good life turned ugly pretty quickly. The nation of Israel experienced only briefly the, the blessing of, of life with God. They didn't experience the fullness of it as God's people in his place and under his rule and blessing because they would not follow God with their whole heart. And what happened is they were vomited out of the land. Leviticus chapter 26. Um, how does it end? Well, it, it ends like we see throughout the whole of the Bible. It, it concludes with God's grace. Despite Israel's persistent sin and rejection of God, he promises to restore and bless them. And this is good news. This is really wonderful news that it finishes up like this. Um, because the blessing of the good life in Leviticus of following all of these rules and regulations, well, it is impossible for us to secure ourselves and we need God to do something else. We need God to do a miracle. So see if you can see what that is uh, as we continue reading chapter 26 from verse 40. But when they, when the Israelites confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me and how they acted with hostility towards me. 
and I acted with hostility towards them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and with Abraham and I will remember the land. For the land abandoned them, uh, for the land abandoned by them will make up for its Sabbaths by lying desolate without the people while they make amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and abhorred my statutes. Yet in despite of this, while they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject or abhor them so as to destroy them and break my covenant with them, since I am the Lord their God. For their sake I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. But did you see how this blessing will happen for God's people here? What needs to happen? Well, they need to confess and turn away from their sin, don't they? God will remember his covenant and his promises and bless them once they turn from their sin. But I want you to note this super important thing in verse 41. Have a look again in verse 41. What is it that is really happening here? Because it's not if the people change their hearts. Because they can't. That's impossible. They've been given so many chances. And the problem is their hearts. What is needed is for their hearts to be circumcised. Can you see there that the important thing is that it's when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled. An external spiritual work needs to be done on their dead hearts so that they can then in turn confess and repent of their sin. Only God can regenerate their hearts. This is what the later prophets like Ezekiel looked forward to. Um, so in Ezekiel chapter 36, you might want to follow along there uh, in your Bibles. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 from verse 24 tells us this. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all of the countries and bring you into your own land. So if you're wondering where we are in, in history at this point, um, Leviticus is long gone. They've uh, entered into the land, but they didn't live God's way. And the Assyrians and, um, came and wiped out the northern tribes. The Babylonians came and took them away uh, to, to Babylon. And so Ezekiel is, is writing at that time, looking forward to God regathering his people. And so verse 25 goes on to say, um, in the future after ga God gathers his people, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Now, this cleaning language should be um, in our minds from Leviticus, seeing what God will do to his people to make them clean. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. 
I'll summon grain and make it plentiful. I'll not bring famine on you. I'll also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful so that you will no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. Um, can you see here what Ezekiel is looking forward to is what, uh, what Leviticus was also looking forward to. But Leviticus' way didn't work. The good life with God comes by grace. It comes from the gracious hand of God as he does a miraculous work on people's hearts. It doesn't come through a tenacious obedience to the law of God because no one can ever do that. And so the blessings on offer in Leviticus were only temporary because they point us forward to the one who secures them eternally, to Jesus to God with us, to the true Israelite who was the only one to ever fully obey the law. To Jesus who, in his grace, took the curse of the law for us. To Jesus who circumcised our hearts and pours out the Spirit upon us and who shares the blessings of the law with all who have faith in him. Now come to Galatians chapter 3 with me in the New Testament. Uh, see here how the Apostle Paul draws these threads together. If you want to know where Galatians is, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's in that little set. So Galatians chapter 3. Now here in verse 30, the whole chapter is really gold to, to think about uh, the law and, and how Jesus fulfills that for us. But just have a look at verses 13 and 14 with me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Okay, so all of the curses that come from disobeying the law, Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the whole world by Jesus Christ so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. And there's lots and lots of things going on in, in this verse, but, um, but basically at, at its heart, as Jesus hung on the Roman cross 2,000 years ago to fulfill God's, God's cosmic plans to bless the whole world, he hung there to show us grace by bearing the curse that our sin deserves. For all the ways our cold, dead hearts seek the good life without God as we reject him and live our own way. Jesus came to bear the penalty for us, to bear the consequence of the law, to bear that curse. But he also came to show us grace by sharing his blessing with us, by sharing all of the blessings that are Jesus's to those who have faith in him, to those who have been given new hearts. And when Jesus talks about sharing the blessings that he has, well, it's not so much talking about the physical land um, in the Middle East and uh, all of the, um, the stuff that goes along with living as the Israelites in ancient Israel. He's talking more about the spiritual blessings that we have, um, the land of of. Uh, um, of heaven, of the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns. Uh, the, not so much the blessings of, uh, of descendants through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, 
but the spiritual descendants of Abraham who are God's children by faith. And so that's what it looks like to, to live in the blessing of, of God today is to come to Jesus and to see that they are more about spiritual blessings than they are about the physical blessings. Now, as we want to secure a good life, as we think about living a good life and wanting a good life, uh, we still do struggle with that, don't we? Our longings for a good life can be selfish and short-sighted. Now, it's not a wrong thing to seek after those things. It's good and right to, to want to have a good life because God wants that for us too. But there's a difference between what God thinks is the good life and what we do. Uh, a sinful heart will always seek the good life without God. It'll be enamoured by the gift and ignore the giver. A bit like a spoiled kid at Christmas. You unwrap the present and you're just consumed by the gift rather than the love and the sacrifice of the person who gave it to you. A sinful heart will seek the good life at the expense of others. It'll want good health and money and friends for selfish reasons. It'll seek to gain the whole world, yet forfeit the soul. And like ancient Israel, it will end with judgment, with being cursed by God and cut off forever with life, from life with him. But because God is a God of mercy and grace, there is hope. All who come to him will never be turned away. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved because God does miraculous work in people's hearts. Friends, we need to understand in our heads and in our hearts that the truly good life is about living in a right relationship with God. The truly good life is to live in his loving presence for all eternity. Starting now as his spirit comes and dwells in us and makes his home in us, but looking forward to all eternity. Life with God is truly good because God himself is joy. He is the one who truly satisfies us. He is the one who can bring us peace. And for those of us who do have faith in Jesus, who do enjoy life with God now, perhaps uh, we might need to spend some time this week reflecting and repenting with, with humble hearts of the many ways, even as believers, we might seek the good life without God. And we seek the good life, perhaps, at the expense of others. Uh, but we do this resting in his secure love and mercy and forgiveness as his Holy Spirit lives within us. So I wonder this week whether you might set some time aside to think about where is my good life? What, is it, what am I planning for in the next five or ten years? And where is God in that? A good way to do that is to come on to media conference. We'll be doing a fair bit more of that. So as God's people, living the good life also means living a life without sin. 
As we've seen in previous chapters in Leviticus, what that is all about is, is about loving God above all. Living a life without sin is about loving God and it's about loving our neighbours. Seeking their good above our own. Longing for them to experience God's rich blessings in Jesus. So as you think about how can I live the good life, think not only about how is that in relationship with God, but how is that in relationship with others? How can I be loving others? as part of the good life. And so I've got three things for you for how to enjoy the good things in this life now. Okay, um, As God lives in you by his spirit, how can you enjoy the good things in life now? Because we should enjoy them. Uh, first of all, it's receive all of these good things with thankfulness to God, who is abundantly kind and generous. But take a moment to thank our Heavenly Father for his grace. Are there good things in your life? Stop and thank God. Second thing then is see how you can use these blessings, you can use this good life to serve others, to bless others. And God hasn't given you these good things in your life just for you to be a consumer, but for you to share and to be a blessing to those around you. So first of all, be thankful. Second of all, bless others. And thirdly, how can we enjoy the good things in this life now? See them as a, as a foretaste of what is to come in the new heavens and new earth. Where people from every tribe and tongue and nation will live with God in his place and under his good rule and blessing forever. So the good things that you enjoy in life now they are just a fraction of the goodness that life will be for all eternity when Jesus returns. So we shouldn't just be consuming those things and loving them now as good as they might be because they are just a little taste of stuff that is even better. So receive good things with thankfulness. See how you can use those good things to serve and bless others. And thirdly, see them as a foretaste of what is to come. What a wonderful day that will be when Jesus does return and we will share with him in paradise forever. Um, I want to finish with some words of the psalmist in Psalm 84 here. And um, Kate prayed these before, but I think it's really good for us to reflect on these and to see how the psalmist um, speaks of life with God. And is this how we see the good life? Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home. And a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord God of armies, my King and my God, how blessed are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Better a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favour and honour. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Blessed is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. Wonder, do you long to live with God? Because he's done everything possible to live with you. Um, it's time for some questions now. Uh, one of the great things about, uh, that I love about Uni Church is that we get to sit under the scriptures together. And so I wonder if you have any questions about things that I've said or these, these verses tonight. Yeah, Ben? Within Leviticus 26 and the water, um, like, you'll die and you'll get diseases and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of sounds like God is putting all those things on the people if they disobeyed him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just wondering how, how, how if God's a, you know, completely without sin, how does he put those things on those, on those people? Mm. Um, thanks, Ben. So, is your question about how can God allow them to do those things, or you know, how, how can He, like, if, if He's without so, sin, how does He? I don't know. How does He allow people to die? So, so yeah. how how is God? How is it possible for God to bring disease into the yeah. world and yeah. and to cause death and and all of those things? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, and I think it's. Yeah, uh, yeah, great question, Ben, and um, it's a really big question, and so I'm not sure I can give a satisfactory answer in the short time that we have. Um, but what we know about God is that He is holy and perfect, and He He does not do, He cannot do any evil, or um, He would cease to be God. Uh, but what we see is the. Um, uh, these things that happen are a consequence of, of, the, of the sin that people have done uh, and, um, and partially it's a natural thing that happens uh, as a consequence. Um, but I think what we, we also see is the fact that these things might not happen is God restraining wickedness and evil in the world. And so the reason why good things happen, even though people might still be doing evil, or um, uh, is, is God actually being merciful and not giving them what they deserve. And so any sin deserves death. And so the fact that God doesn't immediately uh, destroy them is his mercy. Uh, the other thing to, um, to be aware of as well is uh, the, the presence of evil in the world and of Satan in the world uh, who um, always opposes God and, uh, and looks to trip up God's people. And so, uh, so the, the, the forces of evil in the world, something we as Westerners really don't understand very much at all, uh, that there's more than the, the physical things that we can see and touch. Um, but there is a spiritual world, and uh, and the scriptures talk about it a lot, and uh, and so in that spiritual world is is where the devil operates, Satan operates, uh, tempting people to sin, 
and um, and so we see even in the book of, of Job as well, um, in Job chapter one, that God allows um, Satan there to go and um, destroy Job's family and his and his farm, and uh, and yeah, that's a whole other story, but. Um, but we see there that God allows these things to happen uh, for um, uh, all fitting in His grander purposes um, that He that He knows that we don't particularly know. Um, and God is not separate to all of this um, because we know that even in His Son, in Jesus, um, that, that as Jesus was was killed and He was, he was mocked, that He experienced uh, the greatest of evil in the world and uh, and so we know that God is able to he knows what it's like personally um, even though he himself doesn't doesn't do that he allows these things to happen um, but he allows them for his, his purposes so as we read all of these things that happen um, uh, they are kind of consequences of uh, turning away from God Sin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had a. I used to have the question that Ben has. Ben has. Um, and also I've got a lot of questions. And I was asked about the the confession a lot. Yeah. And why are you reading about eleven twenty six? Yeah. I was um, the half of the passage. I was getting angry. How cruel God is! Mm. How bad He is! You know, I was kind of angry and thinking. Uh, I was thinking about it and meditating while you're preaching the message. That um, we often forget when God said, "Do that, don't do that." It's like we, we think God is make us like slave, slave mm-hmm. of the um, the word, mm-hmm. like hiding up, hiding up us with word. So I saw a lot of young people left the church because of you know God is always tidying up us with God's comment. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought about that. Why he is saying don't do that is because we go that way, we're hurt. So if behind the, his comment, there's always love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just like. A, um, it's like a traffic light. Then, uh, if we don't follow the law, there will be consequences. We'll be crushed, you know, whatever. We don't know. So, like a death, as sorry, what's your name? Steve. Yeah. Steve, as Steve said, death is <coughs> definitely thing after we sin against God. So, there could be all the things your, your children will be eating or whatever thing. There could be an example. Of the sin, but behind that is God's So I got a lot of grace by your mm. preaching the message tonight. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Thank you. Um, we've probably got time for, for one more question if people have any, any questions. Um, one more question that you'd like to ask at all, anyone? Well, um, I'm going to pray as we finish up and um, come grab me afterwards if you have, uh, have some more questions. Um, musicians might like to come up as I, as I pray. So please join me.
bare hands. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your grace and kindness to us in Jesus. I thank you that he became a curse for us who bore in his body on the cross uh, the punishment we deserve for our sin. Thank you that even despite our sin, you show us grace and mercy and you shower us with blessing upon blessing. Father, we pray that you help us to love the giver more than the gift. Help us to share generously with those around us, for that is what you are like. Help us to speak of your grace to the ends of the earth so that all peoples can find real life in you. Father, help us to remember that our obedience in life now because of Jesus uh, is not, uh, does not, uh, our disobedience now does not cut us off from life with you because Jesus, our, the obedient one, died and rose to life and as we trust in him, we will receive all your blessings. As we are united to him by faith, we will receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus, in whom are hidden all riches and treasures and wisdom and life. Father, help us to long to live 